Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let's pray as we dive into God's Word. Father, we thank you for your Word. We, ca- we pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts today. God, and in, in bring encouragement, bring lift to our souls, and help us to live the type of life that we were indeed made for. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Isaac. Love Isaac and his beautiful bride, Bree. Bree was actually in my youth ministry many, many moons ago. Um, just so y'all are, y'all are incredibly blessed. And um, I want to continue in the series that you're in called Made for This. Everybody say Made for This. Now, if you want to know what you were made for, the, one of the best places to go is to the person who made you. If you want to understand something's purpose, you don't just come up with it arbitrarily or you don't just do what most of us men do, go on YouTube and watch half the video and say, we got it. You don't do that. You go to the instruction manual. Or you talk to the person who created it. And so this morning, I want to go back to the beginning of the church because you are the church. And I hope this morning, I'm going to ask a lot of questions this morning, but I hope to help you see some things and stir some things in you by understanding who you as an individual are called to be and who the church of Jesus Christ is called to be. Because how many know the church is not the building? The church is the people. We are the gathering of his people. We are the body. The body, the church is not this building as beautiful as this building is. You are the church. And so I hope to help you see this morning what that is. And so we're going to go to the book of Acts. There's a theological principle called the law of first mention. And what that means is in, in that that. The meaning of that is when you want to find the meaning of something, you go back to the very first time in Scripture that it was mentioned. Because if you go back to the very first time that it was mentioned, more than likely you're going to find its truest sense of what it was intended to be. And so I want to go to the beginning of the church, though the Bible mentions it, Jesus mentions it briefly in the Gospels, but the full understanding or explaining of what the church is comes in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the history of the church. And let me just tell you something about the church. I love talking about this. I'm excited about this topic because the church birthed 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, in a small remote area of the world that most of you have never ever been to. Yet here we are thousands of years later impacted by what happened in that moment in time. I would say what they did worked. I would say what, how the church began and what it was doing worked. So if we want it to work, let's go back to what worked. Are y'all with me? And so I'm, I'm going to dive into this um, and give you a little bit of history, a little bit of background. And so I'm going to go right to the book of Acts chapter 2. But before I do that, just so you understand the context of this, Jesus had died, was resurrected, risen from the dead. 
And before he ascended into heaven, he met with his disciples. And the Bible actually says that he showed himself, he revealed himself as a resurrected Savior to over 500 people. So this was not like a closed door setting. He revealed himself as the risen Savior to over 500 people. And then he gathers his disciples and he tells them, now we're getting ready. I know you had Dr. Scott come probably a month or so ago and he talked to you about Jesus telling his disciples, this is the play. Go run the play. Go make disciples. And he told them that. But there was a caveat to that. He said, before you go and make disciples, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. Now, let me stop there for a moment, too. So many, so many places I want to go. But he said, before you go to Jerusalem, I want you to wait. Excuse me, before you go out and preach the gospel, I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's ironic about this is he told them to go back to Jerusalem. What was Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the same place that just roughly 40 days prior to that moment, Jesus was killed. And his disciples ran and fleed and hid because they were scared. And here's Jesus risen from the dead, and he tells them, I want you to go right back to the place and the people that just killed me. The only way that they would do that is if they were, one, obedient, but if they found their courage and their boldness and their faith in him. So he takes this scared group of people who now sees him as a risen savior and sends them right back to the people that just killed Jesus. Peter denied him three times in that same place. How many of you know sometimes God will send you back to the place of your failure? Sometimes God will send you right back to the place because he's doing something. So he sends them back there. And then he fills them with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes down from heaven and is poured out on the disciples. And they are baptized, overflowing, immersed in, poured out on, but immersed in the Holy Spirit. And they begin to pray in unknown tongues. And let me just tell you as a church, we believe in that. We believe in the full expression of the Holy Spirit. We don't believe in people doing cartwheels in church. I'm pretty sure if I know Pastor Don, if you got up and run around this church, he will tackle you personally. <laughs> so we don't believe in that. But what we do believe in is the full expression of the Holy Spirit done decently and in order. Because that's where God's power resides. God gives us his power when he gives us his spirit. And that's what he gave to his disciples. The Bible says 120 people. I know I'm giving you a little bit of a history lesson, but I'm just setting the stage for where we're getting ready to go. 120 of them filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. And Peter, the same man who denied Jesus three times, stands up and boldly preaches the gospel. And he preaches it to men from all different nations. Because these people had heard them praying in these different tongues and they come up and they start trying to figure out what's going on. As a matter of fact, this is what the Bible says. Acts chapter 2 verse 7, it says, they were completely amazed. How can this be? They explained, exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own 
native languages. There were people from all over the known world in that moment. And they were hearing these men speaking in these unknown tongues, hearing it in their own language. And they said, how can this be? These men are from Galilee. Let me tell you something about Galilee. Galilee was known as an area where the people were uneducated. They were the Cajun, Cajun, Cajun people. Essentially, what they were saying was, how can these people know this language? They're from Delcom. They're not supposed to know that. Yet we hear that if you're from Delcom, I apologize. Pastor Paul gave me that joke. I'm just joking. They're not supposed to do that. What happened? The power of God came. The spirit of God came. And these men understood it. And Peter boldly stands up and he preaches the gospel to them. He preaches to them about what Jesus just did and how he's a resurrected savior and how the kingdom of God had come. And the Bible says that over 3,000 men, 3,000 men were born again. Great story, Pastor Gabe, but then what? Because it was in that moment that the church was birthed. Up until that moment, there was no church. The church was birthed. This was the inauguration message of the church. From this day forward, there would be a new entity, a new kingdom that would be established all over the earth. The kingdom of God, and it began in this moment. But what did they do? What happened? Now we dive into our message. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, all the believers... These are the people that just got born again, the 3,000 people that just got born again. All the believers devoted, everybody say devoted. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. I want to talk about this word devoted for a moment. I found an interesting definition of the word devoted, and I want to read it to you. Devoted. A devotion, ardent, often selfless affection and dedication as to a person or a principle. Selfless. I know I asked you to say something with me already, but I want you to say that word with me. Say selfless. We don't like that word. By nature, human nature is to not like selflessness, to not like even the word or the term selfless. We love it when other people are selfless, but we don't want to do it. We're born into this world with a, a sinful nature that keeps us away from selflessness. If you don't believe me, how many of you, your kids' first words were others? No, their first words what? mine, me, or even if it's mama or daddy, it's only because they're waiting to figure out what they can add to that. Mama, can you please? Daddy, I need. We're born into the world with a sinful nature that often thinks about ourselves. And let me tell you a couple things about selfishness and selflessness. Did you know that the religion 
of Satanism, the worship of Satan, really isn't the worship of Satan because one of the core tenets of that religion, if you will, is not worship the devil, is worship yourself. Worship yourself. And we live in a culture and a society that is buying into that by the droves. Worship yourself. Put yourself on this pedestal. As a matter of fact, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. Because love thinks about others. Love wants to help others. It, It prefers other people. But selfishness is all about me, me, me. So that's the opposite of love. I'm going somewhere with with all of this this morning. Because what you are called to as a church, what you are made for, and this is the title of my message, is selfless devotion. You are made for selfless devotion. You as an individual are made for it, and us as a body, the body of Christ as a church, we are made for selfless devotion. It's so encouraging to hear your pastor up here talking about the community of Lake Charles and the things that they're going through. And as a church, us saying, we're going to do something about this. We don't get anything from that. We don't gain anything from that. But we do it because those are our brothers and our sisters and they need us. Selfless devotion. My question for you this morning is, are you devoted to these things? What things? What these disciples were devoted to. See, they were committed to learning the word. They were committed to one another. They were committed to eating together and receiving communion together. They were committed to praying. Are we devoted and committed to these things? I want to break these things down with some questions. Can y'all give me that this morning? They were committed to the apostles' teaching. I want to ask you a question. When is the last time that you studied the word of God just because you wanted to know more about God? Listen, not because you're not reading the Bible because I want to win some argument. You're not reading the Bible because I feel like it's my duty and I have to. When is the last time you really picked up the word of God, the apostles' teaching, the Bible, the word, the text of Scripture? When is the last time you picked it up because you just wanted to know more about him? The Bible is God's instruction manual to us. It's also God's love letter to us. If you want to know who you are, it's found in this book. When is the last time we picked it up just to do that? just to learn more about him. And the Bible talks about, again, devotion to this. Not, ah, every now and then I pick up Jesus calling. Or every now and then I have my scripture of the day. No, I'm devoted to this word because it is my identity. And it is the identity of my creator. And he's revealing himself to me through this word. And he's revealing who I really am through this word. What do I mean, Pastor? Why are you saying that? Because you go through your entire week getting beat up, being told everything that you really aren't by the world. And only hearing who you are once a week from a one-hour sermon or maybe three, depends on how I feel today. (laughs) Will not... Show you adequately who you are. You've got to live in this book. 
Because it's always telling you who you really are. If you're prideful, it tells you who you really are. If you think you're better than everybody, it tells you who you really are. If you, I don't care how fine you think you are. You were made from dirt. <laughs> the Bible helps us accurately see who we are. We need it. We need it. And for those of you who've maybe been a Christian for a long time and you kind of let your foot off the gas with the, with the word and you kind of have the word figured out, let me help you. Let me ask you just a very simple question. Have you figured your wife out yet? You've been married 30 years and you say, I think I got it. Year 31, she'll change everything on you. Pastor Paul told me that one time, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Just kidding. If you haven't figured out your spouse yet, what makes you think you figured out the God of the universe? We need his word. We have to be devoted to this. You know, when I was preparing this message, I was in a coffee house. Something interesting happened. I walked in and I saw one of the teenagers from our, our campus. And I used to be a youth pastor. I was in youth ministry for about 14 years. And I did what a good former youth pastor would do who sees a teenager at a coffee house. I walked up to him because I, I wanted to accuse him of doing something wrong. I thought he was skipping school. I walked up to him. I said, hey, how are you? He said, man, Pastor Gabe, I'm doing so good. I'm waiting for Cody, who's the keyboard player at our church. What, what you doing with Cody? He's taking me through the gold book, the discipleship book. And today we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I was so encouraged when I heard that because what was happening is I, he was placing a value on the word of God and someone else was coming and placing a value and explaining the word of God to this young man, setting his life for success for the future, building their lives off of the word. And let me just say this as a side note. You may be wondering, why am I wearing this? Why am I wearing a t-shirt today? Because I, I, I walk with all of our youth pastors. And let me, church, let me say this to you. Your students need to be a part of this youth ministry. They need to. Well, they don't want to go. Who said they had to want to go to go? You're the parent. My kids don't want to come to church. My kids don't want to eat broccoli, but they're going to do it. I want them to hear from God. They're not going to hear from God if they're not in an environment to hear from God. Amen. Keep them in an environment where God can use it. I promote them. And of course, I say that, of course, God can hear your prayers. Of course, God can break them wherever they're at. Please don't misconstrue what I'm saying. But if you keep them in an environment where the word of God is being preached and they're in the presence of God, you have a much better chance of seeing God move in their life. Also, we have these camps coming up, middle school camp, high school camp, kids camp. We set up these environments so that your kids can be away from you, away from their normal life, not just you, don't get insulted, but out of their normal environment where the gospel is being preached. And I have seen over my, the course of my years of ministry, the hardest of hearts melt in the presence of God at these camps. I've seen kids break and cry and confess things and deal with things in their soul. 
please, I, know, I know some of you may not have a whole lot of context for this, but get your students to our camps. They need them. They need it. Pastor Don, is that okay? Second thing, it leads me to my next point, going back to these, the teenager. They were committed to fellowship with one another. Here's my question. When is the last time that you spent time with other believers? That you spent quality time. I know Pastor David came and preached on spiritual family. We, I'm a firm believer in spiritual family. We need us. When Jesus becomes the Lord of your life, he changes your circle of influence. My pastor puts it this way. Show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your destiny. Who you are surrounding yourself with is ultimately determining the course of life that you go towards. Surround yourself with God's people. Excuse me, and I realize this, that in church on Sunday morning, there are some of you who show up and you hear a good message and you leave. And when I see that happening, I know without a shadow of a doubt, you are missing the best that God has for you. Because maybe the thing you're struggling with, the answer is sitting next to you. Because they have walked through the exact same thing you've walked through, but they're on the other side of it, and they know what it takes to walk out of that season. And you walk in and out of these doors going, God, when are you going to answer my prayer? And God's going, they're sitting next to you. Fellowship with one another. Again, the church is not the building. The church is the people. It's the body. We're missing out if we don't take advantage of that. They're gifts that God has put in this place. Now, as a pastor in this house, there is something that I have to point out. And I know this will be a very strong point, and I understand that, but it's the word of God, and I have to, do, I have to say this. That doesn't mean that every person in this church is born again. And it doesn't mean that every person in this church loves you and has your best interests in mind. I understand that. I understand that some of you come in because you go, I've been hurt in church. I've had people. Listen, I get that. I get that. That doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to you. But I get it. But the Bible even teaches us about this. What am I saying? There are people in this church that claim to be a brother and a sister, and they are not living for God. Stay away from them. And I know that is a strong point. Pastor, can you show me that in the Bible? I can. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 says this. It's Apostle Paul talking to the church. He said, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Do, don't even eat with such people. Pastor, that's kind of strong. It's the word. Why would Paul put that in here? Because as a new believer, someone comes into the church and they're in the process of letting go of those that sin in their life and they're trying to break free from it and they find other believers and those other believers 
are holding on to and making excuses for the exact same thing that they're trying to let go of. So they walk away going, well, they're no different than what I was, so is this thing even real? If you're living in a lifestyle like with the, what I just read, I encourage you as a pastor to repent. To repent. And that, I don't say that harshly. I say that God loves you, God is merciful, and he wants you. But God is holy. And he asks holiness from his people. Not perfection, but set apart. And also, for clarity's sake, I'm not talking about people who fall and mess up. The Bible tells us to gently restore them. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who, if you've been making excuses for your sin, and I'm going to stay this way, I'm going to keep this way, I'm going to keep coming here. For the believer, it tells us, distance yourself from them. God's church is holy. God's church is holy. Next, it says they were committed to breaking bread together. And that's not just sharing. That is sharing in meals, but that's also communion with one another. Communion. Not just the fellowship of hanging out like we just talked about, which we all, we need that because that's the answer to our prayers is found in the body, but also receiving communion. What is communion? Communion is when me and you are fellowshipping with the Lord. When those elements come across, we don't just do that for tradition's sake. We do that because we're sitting down at the table to share a meal together, me and you, but also me, you, and the Lord. That's what communion looks like. I was talking with our, our worship leader the other day. You know, we're having this conversation about growing up in church and some of the things that we saw and, and were a part of. And I can remember when I was 19 years old, sneaking into the church. Listen, not to take something, not to steal anything, but me and my friends, somehow or another, they got a key to the church. And we would sneak in 10 o'clock at night. And one of us or more would get on the keyboard or the guitar and we would just worship God. We would spend time in the presence of God. We would leave there sometimes 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning, just on our face before God, fellowshipping with each other, but fellowshipping with each other in the Lord. Those kind of moments marked my life. They marked my life. And for some of you may be saying, that sounds boring to me. It's because you've never experienced God's presence like that. When you've experienced God's presence like that, you want it. You're drawn to it. That's like saying, well, I don't like pizzas because you haven't had a good one. <laughs> you crave that. You want that because you've experienced that. And we're supposed to be devoted to that. That's where God shapes us and he does amazing things. I'm going to keep going. Are you committed to prayer? Is your life committed to prayer? See, we say we want a relationship with God, but a relationship requires time and a relationship requires communication. See, this is where a lot of marriages get themselves in trouble. When you stop communicating and you stop spending time, our relationship with God has some very close semblances to us and our spouse. When you stop communicating, you feel distant. 
When you stop spending time together, it feels cold. I encourage you very practically, very simple, spend time with God. Devote yourself to prayer. For some of you, that you just need to start, well, I'm, I'm going to pray five minutes a day. I'm going to spend 10 minutes. I'm going to give my morning time to God. But for those of you who've been a believer for a while, and I'm not speaking to the mature when I say this, but for some of you, it's time to get past that. And it's time for you to give some quality time to the Lord. I'm not talking about being Pastor Randy Dugas, spending eight hours a day. None of us do that. Maybe Pastor Don, but that's about it. But devoting yourself to prayer. And as you devote yourself to spending that time with him, you watch and see how you begin to hear his voice. And how he guides your day. How he guides your family. How through the voice of the Holy Spirit, he speaks to those things that you've had questions about for a long time. Why? Because you're devoted to prayer. Then the text goes on to say this. Acts chapter 2, verse 43, a deep sense of awe. Everybody say awe. Awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. There was a reverence for God. God was not treated as common anymore. God was treated as holy. Why? Because he was actively moving in their midst. For the Jewish person up until this moment, more than likely they were treating God like a religious system. That's what happens when you don't have the presence of God. You systematize God. You treat God like he's a system. I do this for him. He does this for me. But when the presence of God is active, he's a person. And you treat him with reverence and honor and respect. And I'm not, talk, look, I'm, I'm not advocating for being weird. Again, I'm not advocating for being religious and super spiritual. Please don't do that. But I'm also not wanting us to swing to the other extreme of the pendulum where we treat God like his commonplace. When I was younger, they used to have a t-shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. I hated that shirt. Talking about the God of the universe. We reverence him and we honor him when we know that he's moving in our midst. Is there a reverence for God in your heart? Is there an honor for God in your heart? Here's another question, because again, I mentioned God actively moving in their midst. God was doing miracles before their very eyes. Have you ever seen God do a miracle? I have as well. I have as well. And I'm not talking about common things. Some people say the sun came up this morning. It's a miracle. It happens every day. It's not really a miracle. I can remember going to a church service and seeing a young lady next to me who came in with her, her feet bandaged up. There was a, a traveling minister who came to see us and preach. He preached and he prayed for that young girl whose legs were bandaged. And God healed her before my very eyes. And I watched this girl get up. I watched this girl dance. I watched this girl excited and all the time she's dancing and moving her feet she is verbally communicating all the things the doctor said that she would never be able to do she's saying the doctor said i'll never dance the doctor said i never run the doctor said i never do this well pastor how do you know it wasn't fake i saw her years later at a completely different church still healed by the power of god god still does miracles 
He actively moves in our midst. I have some friends of mine who are missionaries, and I won't go too much longer, but some friends of mine that are missionaries in Haiti, TJ and Laney, and I've heard stories, and Dustin and Heather Jordy heard stories. See, they're, it, it's different there. They don't have a power grid system the way that we, we do. So they have to run, get their electricity from diesel fuel. And they have these barrels that they purchase it when they're able to. And I, see what I mean? You see what I mean? But they're not able to run their electricity without this fuel. And there have been times when they weren't able to get it. And I've heard them say, I went to bed and that barrel was empty and I woke up the next morning and it was full. God still does miracles in our midst. I'm ending soon. Not too soon, so you don't come up and play the keys yet. <laughs> Checking to see if he was paying attention to the message. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property, possessions, and shared the money with those in need. My last point is the church was and is to be a very generous church. We are called to live a generous life. You are made to be a generous people. We are self, remember we're talking about selfless devotion. The people in this book sold everything they had, gave to those in need. Because that's what they were created to do. Are you saying, Pastor, I got to sell my house? And no, listen, the whole, the whole next, the, the next verse tells us that not everybody did that because the Bible says they met in houses. If they all sold their houses, where did they meet? <laughs> but there's a principle that I want you to get. You are blessed to be a blessing. Yeah. There's a blessing attached to living a generous life. Second Corinthians says this, verse 9, just to prove this point to you a little bit further. And I'm not, please hear me, I'm not talking about naming and claiming and blabbing and grabbing. Because at the root of that is selfishness. Because it's still about what I can get. I'm talking about living a generous life. And God reciprocates that to bless you because so, he knows if I can get it to them, I can get it through them. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they shall freely and get, they shall share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and to eat bread, excuse me, and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Don't miss this. Get ready to wrap it all up. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous, blessed to be a blessing. And here's, he gives us the goal of living a generous life. 
And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. Number one, the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanksgiving to God. What's the goal of living a generous life? Meeting the needs, being the answer to someone's prayer and giving glory and honor to God. When you bless someone and you give someone something and the response out of their mouth is, thank you, Jesus. God just used you through your selfless devotion to be an answer to someone else's prayer. When we share these things that happen in our church and what you just saw with Pastor Jacob, that may seem like something on the screen unless you're a girl trapped in human trafficking who has no other hope and that $50,000 helps to get her out of that situation and her, request, her prayer is thank you God for seeing me and rescuing me and it traces back to someone who gave. God blesses a generous life. Isaac, you can come up now. I love Isaac. Goal of our generosity Living a generous life as we bring glory to honor and honor to God. You become the answer to someone's prayer. I'm going to end with a few stories and I'm going to pray for you. I can remember when I moved to Hammond, Louisiana. Where is Hammond? You may ask. Exactly. Moved to Hammond to go to college. I gave away my car to my sister and I got there and I didn't have a vehicle and I used to have to walk walk to work, walk to church, catch rides, whatever I had to do to get to where I needed to go. And I waited tables as well because one man blessed me with a bicycle. And so I would go to work, I waited tables. I had on literally a white button down shirt with a tie on, a black apron, khaki pants, and I'm riding down the, work, the road on my bike. I look straight Mormon. I'll never forget one day I sat down with a youth pastor who said, he called this meeting together, this ministry I was serving in. And he said, God put this on my heart. And he reached in his pocket and pulled out the keys of his car and handed it to me. And said, God wants me to bless you with this vehicle. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I was so blessed by that. And I drove that thing faithfully. I loved it. And I remember later on in life when my wife and I were in ministry in Mississippi. Where's Mississippi, you may ask? And there was a young man in our youth ministry who was in a similar situation. College age, no job, or he, excuse me, had a job, but he didn't have a vehicle. And we were so blessed and honored to be able to return that favor. I called him in and said, God put this on my heart and I gave him the keys to my old car. Thank you, Jesus. What happens? Generosity is cyclical. You bless someone and someone blesses someone and then they bless someone and then they bless someone. Why? Because we're living a selfless, devoted life. If you want to put generosity in someone's heart, show them how to be generous. You want your kids to be generous, model it for them.
this is what you were made for, church. This is the kind of life you were made for. You were made to be devoted selflessly to his word, devoted to prayer, devoted to one another, devoted to seeking him together, and devoted to living a generous life. Can you close your eyes? Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing church that you've shaped by your hand and you've made. God, help us accept this call of selfless living, selfless devotion to you and selfless devotion to those around us. Give us the grace to take a step back and ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to pray? How do you want me to fellowship? How do you want me to give? Because that's our life of worship. Impart that into this congregation. Mark this congregation by its generosity. Mark this congregation by its devotion to you in prayer. Its sense of spiritual family. Mark it here. We thank you for that. If you're here and you say, Pastor, you're mentioning the church and I'm not a part of the church. I'm not born again. I'm far away from him. Listen to me, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. Jesus made it very clear and simple for us. He says, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. And what is born again? I remember when the moment happened for me. This, it was uh, December 31st, 1996. Changed my life forever. Changed my life forever. And born again is exactly how it sounds. As Pastor Don said it earlier, you die to something. You die to the old you and you come alive. That's what Jesus came to do. Make, bring dead things to life. And it's a simple process if you want to be born again, as simple as ABC. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. That you're far away from him. And B, you believe. Believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. That he is the solution to that. And then C, you confess. Confess what? That Jesus is now the Lord of your life. That he's the boss. That he calls the shots. And you yield to that. So if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer prayer of repentance, a prayer of turning to him, and he'll meet you right where you're at. With nobody looking around on the count of three, I'm ask you to lift up your hand if you say, that's me. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Say, this is my moment. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? You can put them down. Church family, let's pray this prayer out loud together. Say this word with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with the Father I turn from my sin I repent of my sin and I choose to follow you and from this moment on God you are my Father Jesus you are my Lord and Savior 
Holy Spirit, you are my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer.